following program has been brought to you by Root 11 Potato Chips. From the moment Root 11 Potato Chips dropped their first batch of chips back in the early days of 1992, they understood their destiny as a high-quality producer. Instead of succumbing to the frenzy of mass production, they took advantage of their small size and made chipping a personal art form. The payoff was immediate. An incredible potato chip. With a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. In this world of uncertainty that we live in, Root 11 Potato Chips believes comfort food should be just that. Know where your food comes from. For more information, visit rt11.com. You are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Good morning. You're listening to In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Joe Campanelli. I'm the uh, beverage director of a few restaurants downtown, just to give myself a little plug before we get started. Uh, Del Anima, Lartuzzi, La Picho, and the Wine Bar Anfora. Um, but here, I'm here today to uh, talk to you guys about uh, a, a, a new film that I just viewed that I'm uh, very, very excited about. Um, we have both the director, Jason Wise, and one of the stars, Dustin Wilson, um, of the film Psalm. Um, it's, uh, it's about to come out, uh, and uh, I'm excited to have both of you guys here. Welcome. Thank you. Good to be here. Thanks. It's an honor. Jason is uh, Jason's calling in, and uh, Dustin is here in studio, so if, uh, if it sounds a little bit different when you hear Jason speaking, that, that's the reason. But uh, very excited to have both of you guys here. So the film is uh, the story of uh, four sommeliers, um, and it is a very particular part of the whole uh, sommelier and restaurant uh, world. Uh, th- it's these four sommeliers who are um, all trying their darndest to pass this uh, very, uh, very, very, very extraordinarily challenging exam. It is the Court of Master Sommelier's uh, Master Sommelier level. So it's their, their top level. There's uh, not very many in, in the entire world. Um, Dustin Wilson, he's the uh, the beverage director for uh, 11 Madison Park and uh, Nomad. Um, not to give things away too much, but if you were to Google him, you'll find out that he is uh, currently a Master Sommelier, so he did... Uh, Spoiler alert. <laughs> don't want to spoil too much, but he, he did pass. And uh, Jason Wise is the, the director of the film song, uh First film, Jason, um, congratulations. I think uh, uh, just a tremendous effort. You, you did extraordinarily well. Uh, so thank you and congratulations. I appreciate that very much. Thank you. Jason, why don't, why, don't, why don't you get started? Tell us a little bit about how the film came to be. Um, what made you want to, to make this film? Sure. Uh, you know, I mean, the, I originally was friends with one of the guys in the film, and a lot has been said about him and I just sort of being kind of restaurant bums that knew each other through the restaurant industry, and he was taking the level before the master. So before I say that, I have to say that I didn't know that this exam existed. Um, I worked in restaurants and sort of knew what a sommelier was as a wine specialist, but truly didn't understand the kind of scope that these people had. So to be the, the kind of the top level of a sommelier, you have to take this test that kind of encompasses everything in the wine world as far as 
tasting and what they call theory, which is anything that has to do with regions and rivers and maps and history. And so when I first heard about this exam, I really did not believe it was possible that there was a test so hard to be a wine specialist. And when I watched Brian study, I was absolutely floored. I mean, I just could not believe that this thing existed. And he was studying with a guy named Ian Cobble, and he started studying with a guy named Dustin Wilson, who were, who's in the studio, and they were studying with a guy named Dylan Proctor, and I just sort of started naturally following the four guys that were working together to try to get this test done. And so that's kind of how this thing came about, very organically, and it took several years to make. And that's sort of it. I mean, the rest the rest turned into this, this monster that you viewed last night and comes out this Friday. All right. So, um, so the four of you guys were, were studying together, um, Dustin. So you and during the film, you and Brian actually move in together. That's correct. Yeah, Brian and I. So we met at the um, at the advanced advanced exam, which is the exam that you take prior to taking the the master level. And um, not too long after that test, uh, Brian reached out to me and he's like, "Hey, you know, I'm looking to leave California and." Um, you know, try to find something that I can get a little bit more involved with wine somewhere else in the country, somewhere that has a little bit more of a, a, a MS culture. And um, I was working at the Little Nell Hotel in Aspen at the time, and we had an opening, and I was like, why don't you come out here, and, you know, we can get you as involved with wine as you want, and um, there's a great little core of people studying out here and kind of getting things going, so I think it could be great. And he's like, awesome. Um, so he came out there with his wife, and uh, that was like in 2009 or so. Um, and then uh, from there, we uh, we lived there a couple years, um, and then uh, we were just studying, tasting. We became very good friends, um, and then we both got an opportunity to um, to work in San Francisco right around the same time. Um, me with uh, Raj Parr at RN74 and Brian for uh, tr- uh, a company called Treasury Wine Estates. And um, we were like, well this is, could be really cool. Let's screw it and go out west. So we went to San Francisco and um, we're searching around for apartments and uh, what we found was, was probably got a little bit of a nicer place and uh, could you know be around each other and study a lot more if we just lived in the same place. So he and his wife and uh, my wife and I uh, shacked up in a, in a nice townhouse like right outside of Noe Valley and um, it was awesome. <laughs> and, and so, and both of your wives were, were in for this? I mean, they were. They- I don't know how we managed to convince them to, uh, to be up for this. And uh, luckily, they were already friends. So I think they thought it was okay. And the house was big enough, too, that we could kind of keep ourselves relatively separate. But um, yeah, we managed to twist their arm and, and make it happen. And, uh, you know, much to probably their uh, pleasure as well as regret over the course of that year that we spent there. Uh, as you see, um, like there's definitely lots of tasting and lots of late night uh, drinking and, and, you know, hanging out, so to speak, in the living room and things like that, that I'm sure they weren't too crazy about. But yeah, I we mean, had a great time. The, the, the girlfriends, wives uh, in this in this film definitely play a, a really great supporting uh, role. You, you see that the impact that it makes, that takes not only... On, on, on you guys, but on, on also um, some of the people around you. Uh, just throwing it over to Jason. Jason, did you find that, uh, what, what was your idea of including um, the kind of significant others? And then did you find that it was, uh, was everyone willing to be very open and forthright when talking about the impact that this exam had on uh, everyone else's lives? Or was that something you had to try to pull out? No, I didn't have to pull it out at all. So, uh, 
you know, my the, the crew for this film was about I don't know at most around two people. <laughs> so we were we were sleeping on their their floor, Dustin and Brian's house, quite a bit during that year that they moved in together. And during the process of this, Dustin's wife, I mean, she may have asked me on a daily basis, why are you guys doing this to yourselves? You know, I mean, is this, <laughs> is this movie, I mean, we'd be asking, I'd be asking Dustin and Brian and Delan and everybody in the film, I'd be asking them, why the hell are you doing this to yourselves? And then the wives would be asking me, why are you doing this to yourselves? And so it kind of became this thing where the only people that really understood what a pain in the ass it is to be a spouse or a girlfriend or a boyfriend or whatever to somebody trying to take this exam were the filmmakers. And so we found ourselves having something in common where we kind of could relate to that this was a very difficult process. And no, I mean, when I, when I asked to talk to, uh, to Kristen and to Rachel, they, there was no, there was no asking them to open up. They were just like, all right, put the camera there and let's talk. You know, it was, it was, but for my, for my thing, they, you know, they happen to be women just because it got, we were following guys, but the the significant others in the film to me are the voice of reason. You know, I mean they they play a they play an important role. I don't think it's like support roles, but I think the only sane people in the film because everyone else, including the filmmakers, were just one track mind trying to accomplish a mountain goal, and they were these kind of people that just happened to love people doing that, and so it was uh, it to me made the film kind of. Know, real, and I think the thing that people can relate to is that anytime somebody's got an insane goal, there's somebody next to them that is watching them do it and supporting them, and at times frustrated with it. So I think that's human nature. But no, it was not difficult to get them to open up because we became friends with them during the process. Uh, I mean, that's fantastic. And you know, one of the things that I really uh, enjoyed about the film, I watched it with my girlfriend uh, last night, and she is <laughs> not in the industry at all, uh, and she doesn't uh, really know anything about the exam. Um, and and she really loved the film, uh, and so it it spoke to her. She learned something about wine. There was education that was uh, that was very nuanced. Like, like add in their great maps. Um, some some uh, winemakers you, you spoke to, um, and she learned all about the exam. And she she felt like she understood and knew what the exam was uh, was about. Um, how did you how did you go about making it such a relatable? kind of uh, film to people who aren't in the industry? Because I, I think you really accomplished that. But that, I, that. I could not get a bigger compliment, honestly. I really appreciate that. I think the major thing that we tried to do is, first and foremost, we wanted to make it a film that was entertaining. Because I knew these guys. By the time we got midway through, and we really realized, oh my God, we're actually making a real movie here. Because at first, you know, when you start working on a documentary and you start following things and, and you don't really know how it's going to... First of all, we really didn't know how the end was going to turn out. And on top of that, you really don't know if it's going to jive as an actual story. And so by the middle time when we realized, oh my God, this is actually going to work, I think our number one thing was to just do justice with how charismatic the people are and you know all the guys in the film are very good looking very charismatic very incredibly smart people and they're very funny that's the thing that really i mean we laughed our asses off with these guys and so i wanted to make sure that the film was as entertaining and real as it as it we had the power to tell it because you know i've said this before too and i just i can't say it enough i don't think wine is a proper focus of something that is supposed to be slightly entertaining. I understand that everybody loves wine, 
and you believe it's beautiful and all these things, but when people think about wine, they think about memories attached to wine. And they think about, you know, a Christmas dinner or a wedding or all these different things or just when they had some special bottle, the people that were there. People don't realize that wine sitting on a table without anybody drinking it and talking about it or, you know, getting their hands dirty making it, that's not, there's no story with it. And so when I saw these guys doing this, I realized as an outsider, you know, not a member of the wine industry, and somebody who, you know, I realized I could tell a story that was different than had been done before, is that I could try to tell a story that people that drink wine casually could go, I had no idea this energy was out there, and I didn't understand that in my glass there was so much more than I realized, and so that was kind of, I think, the, the hope. And whether it worked or not, you know, is, is totally up to viewers who go and see it. But I really hope it worked. <laughs> yeah, I mean, one of the things that that amazed me about the the film was, I mean, the the kind of intense pressure that these people are under, under that they put themselves under this pressure. There is the pressure of, of the exam as well. I mean, I can't tell you how many times during the film people are like, I don't want to take this exam again. I'm too, I'm working my butt off now because I don't <laughs> want to do this again. I mean, I can only imagine if you were to film me during, uh, during like the days before opening up uh, Del Anima or during a final exam back in college or something, I would be a complete mess. Uh, but Dustin, you, <laughs> I think you came off like <laughs> cool, calm, collected. Um, were you putting that I thought up? Thought it for, at least came <laughs> off that way. <laughs> were you, how did how did what were your, some of your techniques for for doing that? Uh, God, you know, if you would have talked to me then and asked me that question, I don't know if I would have answered my, you know. And said, "Oh, I'm super calm and relaxed right now. I think I was, I was pretty much freaking out as much as everybody else. Maybe I just don't show it as as much, um, or maybe I was just drinking enough to uh, to keep myself calm. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, I think at the same time, you know, we were always around a bunch of friends too. Um, so I think times when you know, by the time we were doing all this filming, you know, Jason and I became friends, you know, Brian and I were already buddies. So it was Ian and Dylan. So we were all just like buddies hanging out together and, and, uh, doing our normal thing and having a good time. And, um, I think the level of comfort that came with that maybe just allowed me to, to be a little bit more, uh, relaxed, I guess. Um, certainly there were moments of, of high stress. I mean, there's a, a scene in the, in the movie where I'm tasting and, uh, with Reggie Norito and uh, I'd walked into this room and I knew I was tasting that day. We went there to, to blind taste and practice. Um, but I had, I was unaware of the fact that we were going to be filming that day too. And, um, not only yeah. were we filming, but we also, uh, somebody had invited, I don't know whose idea this was to invite six other, uh, local Bay area sommeliers who were like practicing for their advanced or something, um, to watch us and learn and, and figure out, you know, their techniques for blind tasting. And, I walk into this room and there's six sommeliers sitting at the table watching with their notepads out, like looking to, to learn stuff. And uh, Reggie sitting at the other end of the table, uh, the wine's on the table and three cameras in my face. I'm like, oh, God. And uh, I definitely yeah. fell apart that yeah. day, for sure. And Reggie is so like <laughs> frank and direct. And, you, and you're like, I, 
I just like I, I lost it. I got and I'm yelling I'm like, no, dude, you got this, you got this. I know you have it, you got this. You're like, and you're just like, no, totally falling apart. I'm yep. falling apart. I don't have it. I got nothing. And like, I'm like, I know you got this. I'm like yelling at the screen. I was rooting for you. Yeah. Oh, you felt like that was an emotional like that was definitely an emotional scene. Uh, one of my other favorite very emotional scenes was uh, when Brian, uh, who's your buddy who you moved in with, was talking about what would happen if uh, if some of you guys didn't pass. Right. Um, and he was saying he was basically saying because it was the the three of you who were who were kind of closest. From what are you saying? Dylan was uh, living in Texas at the time. Yes, exactly. So Dylan was living in Texas. It was you, Brian, and Ian. And he was saying, you know what? If no one passes. Uh, not a problem. We're we're all together. We got it. He's like, if if everyone passes, everyone's going to be super happy about that. If one person passes, we'll be happy for them. But the worst thing would be if uh, only one person doesn't make it, because then they'll be all alone. Right. And I'm like, oh, that is just like heartbreaking. It totally is. And you know, we we talked about that a lot. Um, you know, outside of being being films and and whatnot. And uh, you just you don't know what's going to happen, and that's the funny thing about you know making this film too. And I'm sure it was a terrible case of stress for for Jason as he was going through this. Like, really, the whole film depended on like at least somebody passing this test. I mean, uh, who knows what would have happened if we would have gone to the test and Jason's done all this filming up until that point, and this is like the last of it, and this is the chance to to capture everything and. God, if we would have all failed, it's not a very fun ending to a movie. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you're gonna have you're gonna have to watch it to find out, but we'll know at least Dustin for sure passed. But well, sure. watch the film to find out uh, about about the others. Um, now, Jason, just uh, throwing it over to you. Did you find that you had a uh, a hard time um, getting in with the court of master sommeliers? I mean, I, from what I understand, at the beginning, it, you were doing this kind of unofficially, and you were filming it and hoping that they would they would uh, say that it was okay for you to do this, and then then by the end, you got kind of a a, a mixed sort of blessing. Uh, is is that accurate? Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, you have to realize the the, the court. Is, is something that I'm not sure how to define what it actually is. I mean, it's 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 a, a lot of very 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 talented Type A personalities that are trying hard to educate people and try to get get other people into this organization. They really are. I, I watch countless hours around me where masters are trying to make other masters, and it's so hard. Um, I can tell you that any apprehension they had, it took me probably a year to get. Any you know anybody to really be on my side as far as this is a good idea to make a movie about what we're doing, and I can tell you that their their apprehension is totally founded. I mean, if you if you really look at the scenario, stepping back, I was uh, a kid from Cleveland, Ohio, who had never made a film, you know, right out of film school, and I was asking to, to be the one to tell their story, and I didn't work in the wine industry, so. Within the wine industry, there's all sorts of politics, you know, and some people don't love sommeliers. You know, I think that them looking at me going, you want to make this film, I think they their their fear was uh, was definitely founded. So after a while, though, they sort of realized, A, I wasn't going anywhere. I was going to do this. And B, you know, I really, really respected what they were doing. And so after a while, they sort of just said, okay, he's going to do it. And they gave me, you know, 
they gave me permission to sort of be involved, and that was a huge, enormous honor. And especially now finishing it, do I realize really what they allowed me to do. Because, you know, when Dustin or Brian or any of these guys, they put their ass on the line and let me really into their personal lives, and that's going to be on the screen, and people get a chance to take a peek at their personal lives. The court did that, too. And it's, it takes a lot of guts to do something like that. And, you know, during the process, I spent a lot of time going, God, why won't they just let me do this? Why can't I do this? And I, and I was angry. But now afterwards, I realized, man, I, I cannot believe I was able to even do what I was because you never know what the end product's going to be like. And so I am, I am just so honored that I got a chance to tell this story, especially one that really hasn't been told. Yeah, so that I, was kind of. I, mean, I, I was, was I was really process. impressed that you got that kind of that kind of access and that you had so many people to to open up and, and especially uh, the the four stars. But we need to take a just a quick quick break. Um, we're going to be back um, with Jason Wise, the director of SOM, and Dustin Wilson after the short break. Listen to I Get Fired by Dead Stars. Stay tuned here on Heritage Radio Network. We're back on In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Here with Jason Wise, the director of SOM, and Dustin Wilson, master sommelier, um, beverage director for the Nomad and Eleven Madison Park, and one of the, the stars of SOM. Uh, I'm going to throw it to you, Dustin. When Jason first approached you about the film and said, hey, man, I would love for you and Brian to be in this. I want to film you during the next few years taking the most intense exam of your life during the highs and the lows and uh, your relationship with your wife. What did you think? You know, um, that's a great question. I honestly, I didn't know exactly... Um, and Jason didn't either, you know, what the story was going to be uh, at the end. Um, what I did know is that, you know, I think a lot of people, especially the general public, have no idea what a sommelier is um, outside of, you know, the guy who walks around on the dining room floor and, and, and pops corks and, and talks to people with the wine list. And I think there's so much more to what we do in our jobs and kind of how we prepare and, and what we do to to get better at our jobs um, that a lot of people don't see. And this was a really great opportunity for, for me to be a part of something where um, we would have the chance to show, uh, you know, the world kind of the behind the scenes look as to what being a sommelier is and what it's all about. And yes, this is, I think, a specific story of people going for this particular test. But 
Um, I mean, you go outside of the quartermaster sommeliers, and, and there's still lots of really great sommeliers who are, they put just as much time and effort into their studies and as much serious um, kind of uh, dedication into what they do um, that is always behind the scenes, and it's a story that, that not many people get to see. And um, for me, it was an opportunity to hopefully um, be a part of something that would tell that story and, and hopefully open the eyes to the general public as to what we do and um, hopefully raise the bar a little bit or, or I guess raise awareness or um, lend a little bit more credibility to um, our industry and our profession. You know, I was very pleasantly surprised to see a couple of very prominent Somalis in the film who had decided to absolutely not go the route of getting yes, the match right. like Raj Parr, mm-hmm. for instance. Uh, uh, right. Perhaps one of the the greatest tasters. Uh, there there are legends about how about Raj's uh, ability to. Uh, I feel like everyone I know has this like story of Raj being able to like nail a wine, uh, and he's just like an incredible guy, great taster. Why do you feel that for some Somalis it's so important to go through this this process, but then other people like Raj have been able to have just a, a an outstanding career without without doing this? Sure, and I think you know it's it's obviously not necessary. You don't have to go do this to become a sommelier. Um, I think pe- different people take it for different reasons. For me personally, it you know it, it is a very personal decision. Um, it. I need structure in my life. I need something to kind of work towards and, and like things to hit. Um, otherwise, I, I kind of feel like I'm, I'm lost out there in the world and I don't have a direction. So for me, that offered that that discipline. Um, I also kind of was raised in in wine around a lot of MSs. Uh, when I first kind of cut my teeth on wine, it was in Colorado and it was around people like Bobby Stuckey and Brett Zimmerman and Jay Fletcher and Richard Betts and these guys who had um, who I really respected and who had gone through this process. And so I kind of looked up to them as mentors. And I was like, wow, you know, if those guys are at the top of their game. They're killing it. They're uh, very well respected in the industry. Um, I want to be like one of those guys. Um, so for me, it was always immediate. Like, I just knew I wanted to take that path. And I honestly didn't think that I would ever see it all the way through. Um, I don't know if anybody does necessarily when they first get into it. Uh, I was like, maybe I'll go take the advanced exam, but I don't know. We'll see. (laughs) Um, But for me, you know, that was a definitive path. But I think, you know, depending on where you uh, kind of grow up in wine or uh, the environment that you're in or your career path, Mm -hmm. or there's a lot of different things out there that could, you know, take you away from wanting to pursue this. Not everybody wants to to do something like this or put so much time and effort into it and, you know, it's a very personal decision, and I think um, obviously it's you can be successful either way. Um, so for me, it's a, it came down to being a personal achievement that I wanted to to take. Yeah. Now, now, Jason, if you were to film one of your buddies who was studying for the bar exam, uh, it, it would not. You know, n- no one would really care, right? It wouldn't. It wouldn't be that exciting or interesting. <laughs> what do you think it was about uh, this group and this test? That that made it to be something that was uh, a particular, particularly compelling for you and 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 for audiences. You know, I think I mean the answer to that question it sort of started it started and, and went to different places as we made the film. So when it started, the thing that intrigued me was, you know, watching these guys blind taste to me was like watching a ballet that nobody had put music to yet. I mean, I just had never seen anything like this and. There's this, there's this thing outside of 
outside of the center of the wine industry, that when people hear descriptors, when someone smells wine, they automatically think it's a bunch of bull. It, I don't know why, but it's just sort of the feeling. Like when someone says, yeah, I get blackberries in here, people are like, yeah, sure you do. So <laughs> I, think, I, think when, I think when I saw this, I saw right away, here's a spot in the wine industry hiding in plain sight that nobody knows about. I mean, it, it, it's just this chance. When Ian breaks down that first glass of wine in the film, and I, 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 we showed at the Seattle International Film Festival, I think about a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, 500 people in the theater. I could not believe the reaction to that. When they first see the first line, everybody, it erupts like, oh my God, they just cannot believe it. It's like people are superheroes. And so when I saw, when I saw that personally, I just, I, I could not wait to tell it. I could not wait to put music behind that. It was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. So, the motivation from the beginning was I had a story with these four guys who were friends and who were going to do something really hard. And I'm very, very turned on as a filmmaker by ambition. When someone is going to try to do something that might wreck them in the process or make them in the process, and it's really hard and they're putting their ass on the line, it really is the kind of story I want to tell because I don't think the world has enough people like that. People sort of just waltz through life, and nobody's really passionate about something. When you find somebody who is, and I don't care if it's scuba diving or religion or whatever, if you find somebody who puts it all on the line for something and they love something wholly, you should be around those people because that's very important. Yeah, there's a, so there's a lot of suspense yeah. and, and all, all kind of based upon the, the enormous amount of risks that, uh, that right. the, the four are taking in their, you know, in their personal lives. You, you see that, uh, Dustin would come home after work. You know, you work in a restaurant and you're not getting, it's not a nine to five. You're getting home at, at midnight and then he's right. on Skype with, with his friends till two thirty in the morning. They're holding up, uh, note cards, uh, I'm sure that his wife would have loved to have seen him during those hours. Uh, oh, you would have yeah, liked to she take was, some she was asleep in the background, by the yeah. way. If there was exposure, you could have seen that. <laughs> but, the, uh, but you know, yeah, that's that's the thing with these guys. Is there, there was absolutely no line between personal life and, and studying for this thing, and I admire that enormously. I really, really do. So the, the, kind, of, the kind of thing was just... This was just something people hadn't seen, and and it kind of it kind of blows me away when people are like, you know, it's just it's just one. I've got a couple reaction from pe- reactions from people that are kind of like, well, it's not like they're neurosurgeons, it's not like they're Navy SEALs, and all my response is, yeah, they're not neurosurgeons. But when I get home from work, I don't need brain surgery. I need a good glass of wine, and I don't have a lot of money to spend on it. So. That's more important than a neurosurgeon to me sometimes. So, I mean, I don't, you know, to me, it is incredibly important that what these guys do and what these girls do, it is an incredibly important profession. So, I don't know. That, that kind of was the, was the draw for me and, and why I think this is such a great thing and why I was so amazed when we started making this that I had a chance to tell a story. Well, I'm going to put this question out to both of you. Um... Because this is something the the one thing that I that I was uh, thinking about. So most people don't know uh, what sommeliers are, or, or, or you know, I, I imagine that we have some pretty savvy listeners. So everyone who's listening would, would probably knows that the role of a sommelier. Uh, but uh, 
you know, if you if you don't know what a sommelier is, or if you maybe know but have this presumption that a sommelier is someone who um, is maybe a little pretentious, uh, is uh, you know maybe hard to relate to. Um, do you, did you have any concern that this film showing these people um, using descriptors like uh, the 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 fresh garden hose and bruise? I know you, Dustin, you, you don't like the fresh garden hose descriptor. Or the tennis uh, balls. Or the tennis balls. <laughs> but these may be very, very obscure, very specific descriptors and, and seeing these people um, in, in that kind of environment and those being maybe the, the first introduction of Somalis to a large group of people. Do you think that there is any, um, any fear that maybe it might portray Somalis as a non-approachable kind of type? Let me, let me take that first. I, you know, I think people who come to the table come to a film like this with a preconceived, I don't like Somalis, or I think wine geeks are snobby jerks, it's very hard to turn somebody around on that kind of a belief because they've, they've learned it the hard way. If you already do not like sommeliers or you do not like wine people, I, I think you should probably go watch March of the Penguins because this, you, know, <laughs> you, may, you may be taking too much at the yeah. table anyway. So I would say no. I mean, as a filmmaker, you can't come to a project with, with the notion like, I hope I don't I hope I don't mess up an industry because really my thing was this is not a, this is not a representation of all sommeliers because all sommeliers are not, you know, are not, uh, you know, four young guys. You know, that's just impossible. There are tons of women and there are tons of people of all different ages and there are tons. I mean, sommeliers do a million different things. They're not just on a Florida restaurant. They run beverage departments. They make wine. They do all sorts of stuff. So, my thing was this is a this is a petri dish within an entire laboratory. So I think, though I'm incredibly honored to be one of the very first uh, kind of, an, of of stories to talk about sommeliers, I, I don't think that you know that's that's the singular thing people should take out of this. So no, I was not worried, and I think it's awe and fascinating personally as a as a viewer and as a director. So if people don't like it, I you know I, I say I apologize. You know I, I really hope they do. My my view on that, I think you know you could. It depends on what you're taking away from the film. I think there are certain instances, you know, when we're using crazy descriptors, and um, you know, there's moments where we're all very serious, and um, you know, we can seem a little neurotic. Um, that people could certainly be like, wow, this you know these aspects could certainly perpetuate that idea of the snobby psalm or the guy who is a little uh, too far out there. But, um, you know, there's also moments of camaraderie and we're joking around and, you know, we're all in like, you know, T-shirts and hoodie sweatshirts and uh, just goofing around and drinking and having a good time too. And I, I would hope that those moments of the film also portray us as, you know, we're just normal people who happen to like really get into something and uh, we like to have a good time just like anybody else. And, um, you know, hopefully those moments will... will uh, open people's eyes a little bit. Yeah, and I would say, you know, I, I know uh, several of the of the cast in, uh, in this film. Um, I, I would just also hope that when people watch it, they realize that these, that these people are under the most intense, severe pressure of their life, probably to that point. They've yes. put yourself under that. And uh, just imagine how, how, you would, how you would be, how you would look if you were filmed during the most intense part of your life. And I, I thought you guys all 
came off uh, way better than than I would personally. <laughs> I think you. I would be an absolute madman. So, uh, <laughs> uh, so I, I really do hope that that that's how people uh, people view it because I, I think that what you guys did, um, not only dedicating yourself to this and 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 uh, trying to improve yourself professionally um, and and focus on something you're so passionate, but but really opening it up and letting people see what that process is like, the goods and the bads, the camaraderie and the stress out time. I think that is a super beneficial thing for uh, for people in the industry, for people outside of the industry. Absolutely. Uh, I think I think it's a, a very admirable thing that, that you've done it. I think that uh, for you as well, Jason, uh, it's 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 a long time. It's it's way past you that we've had a good uh, film about uh, about the Somalia world and uh, and about wine. I hope that this is something that opens it up so that there there are more films about the industry. And I have a feeling it will. Um, it's it for me. I think that it's taken uh, it's taken a while for there to be some good food food films, but you're starting to see those happen more frequently. Um, it seems yeah. that the the wine and the cocktail world always follows a few years after uh, food. So I'm I'm hoping that uh, that you've kind of opened the door for some more great uh, uh, documentaries and 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 films, or and even some fiction films about uh, uh, about the the wine world. I'd love to see you to I'd love to see you. Uh, uh, follow some really great producers around as well, and and tell the story of uh, of some of some producers maybe doing radical things like uh, when Yasko Grovner went to Georgia to find Anfora and and bring it back to Friuli. Like that would have been a, that right. that's a cool story. Uh, I think you do right. a great job at that. I would love to do that. I mean, I've been drunk for the last three years. Why not keep it going? <laughs> what, do you have anything planned? Are you are you working on anything now? You know, so the process right now is I've got about forty different things I'm I'm trying to get, I'm trying to work on. I got to figure out. It's like it's like marrying another woman. I got to figure out which woman I want to live with for the next couple of years. But there's a project that I've been uh, researching and developing for many years that's set within the oyster industry, and that's about the closest thing to the food and wine world that I'm working on. But there's there's many projects. I just have to uh, I have to pick one. But luckily, there seems to be opportunities, and I'm going to get the chance to make another movie. So, all right. Well, uh, when you have your next uh, when you have your next movie coming out, hopefully you'll you'll come back on the show and, and talk about it. Um, I'd love to. And Dustin, what what do you have coming up in the next uh, next few months? So you know, super busy at the restaurant as always. Um, but I'm probably most excited about um, the wine project called uh, Valen um, that myself and Brian. Um, and two other friends of ours have started up. Um, the wines will be arriving here in New York uh, in a couple of weeks. 2012 is our first vintage, and the wines just got bottled a few weeks ago, so we're super excited about that. Um, it's all Rhone varieties grown in uh, Santa Barbara, uh, so I'm super stoked there. And uh, otherwise, just trying to evolve 11 Madison Park and you know grow the wine program and make that the best it can be and have a good time living here in New York City. Yeah, and uh, I, I'm very excited to, ch- to taste the Valen wines. I know a lot of people in the industry who've had them and who are super excited about them. Awesome. Um, and congrats to you with everything with, uh, with Love and Madison Park. Uh, Pellegrino top five restaurant in the world. Incredible. Obviously, three Michelin star, four New York Times star. James Beard, you guys are just absolutely 
killing it. Thank you. You're doing a great job. So so definitely go visit uh, Dustin. And thanks to everyone for listening. This has been so. The- can we uh, can we just plug the film one more time at the end here? It's uh, for those people living in New York. It opens this Friday. Oh yes, uh, opens this Friday at the Quad. Also on iTunes. On as iTunes well, uh, starting Friday. Yeah, that's. I mean that that's uh, that's pretty unique to do that simultaneous release both both oh, yeah. um, on the uh, uh, in the theaters and on iTunes. Um, Go see it. And then uh, Jason, uh, th- <laughs> this Friday, quickly at New York, and where else is it opening? It's opening in Seattle, in San Francisco, in Los Angeles, in Napa, and New York City, and then the following weekend, Austin, Denver, Miami, and several other places. So. Uh, Facebook backslash Somdoc film. All right. Go watch it or download it on iTunes. Thank you so much for listening. This has been In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.